This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 634 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and I'm your head number one this week. You know, I really like how we, ch- uh, you know, take turns being head number one. There's it makes no me main feel host. like an. It makes me feel like an equal partner in this it's relationship. That's what we do here. Yeah, we're partners. We're not husband and husband. We're partners. Well, that's not what some people on the internet are saying. No. That's I'm the, the internet's Joe Patrick. That's just a fan fiction. <laughs> You're, that's right. You're head number two, and today on the show, it's time to review new comics from the first two Wednesdays of September. After that, we'll set you nerds up with our must-read picks for next week's comics, and then Mrs. Casey Baum joins the show so we can share our instant Shang-Chi reactions. And yes, that's how we're saying it now, but don't worry. No spoilers. But enough of this introductory prattling. It's review time in the ziggurat. Look, no guarantees that I won't slip up and say Shang-Chi. But it's a process, you know. I'm trying to grow as a person. This episode's pile features new comics from a new comic book Wednesdays, September 1st and September 8th. That's today. And it's chock full of rehashed ideas from J. Michael Straczynski. New tales. Not tales. For Kazar, you'll get it in a minute. Prologues to Future State Returns. What? And Haunted DVD Rental Machines. Matt, you're head number one this week, so that means you get to get us going. Let's start out with the event that turned out not to be the big event that we thought maybe it was going to be and actually the thing that we thought it was going to be. It's I mean, Dark it's Ages. Ca- it's kind of an event. I guess. Dark Ages number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. This was written by Tom Taylor with art by Iban Coelho. Here's your solicit. This is what the Watcher has been watching for. Bullet, a danger older than Earth, threatens everything for once. The heroes who have saved the planet so many times are almost powerless in the face of it. That never happens. They've always got it perfectly handled, usually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Bullet! X-Men and Avengers assemble! Spider-People and Fantastic Four come together! Heroes for hire fight alongside champions! Bullet! None of it will be enough! Bullet! The lights are about to go out! Bullet! The world outside our window! Bullet! 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 Is about to end! Bullet! (laughs) All new saga of the... Un-all-new saga. I'm sorry, they did say it correctly. Of the Marvel Universe, as you've never seen it before, from Tom Taylor and even Coelho, you may remember them, I just mentioned them. Page one instantly answers the continuity question, and the solicit wasn't lying. This is an all-new saga of the Marvel U, wholly invented and reimagined by Tom Taylor. Dark Angels sees an evil threat. It was sent to destroy the Earth thousands of years ago. Now it's waking up today, and the only way to fight it is to turn off Earth's electricity permanently dark ages get it i don't get it okay i love the way that tom taylor writes and typically when reading a tom taylor story it doesn't always seem like the the ideas are very long form but they are he has plans to begin with issue one page one they are mentioned much later he's great with his continuity that is not to say that there is not a plan here it's just unfolding faster than any taylor story i've encountered even his deceased story which was essentially Marvel Zombies in the DCU 
didn't hit the ground running this fast. Now, I get that they're trying to set up a whole new Marvel Universe story here. And by the last page, we realize we're basically reading a prologue, but it feels very rushed. And by the time you get to said last page, after the massive status quo is revealed, you get hit with another major event. Coelho's art is very solid. He's got a style similar to Ryan Stegman that draws influences from McFarlane, Joe Maduria. He looks really good here. Excellent with the action. I didn't hate this first issue, so let me get that out of the way. It does feel like they crushed a ton of setup into these pages, though. So much so that when you're trying to sell some of these emotional moments, characters getting killed and whatnot, and we know that this is a completely different universe, they're not actually dead, it's hard to land those moments. I almost feel like this may have worked better had they just committed and done a big company-wide crossover set in the Marvel U right now. Leave the X-Men out of it. They're on their island doing their thing. Whatever. <laughs> just let it breathe a little more is all I'm saying. It's very obvious this is an Elseworld-type story out of continuity, so it was very hard for the emotional moments that Taylor dropped in here to land for me. I can only give this a skim. Okay. Um, everything you say is true. Uh, it does move very quickly. Uh, it, it did seem like just from what little information we got at the beginning, uh, that this big cosmic robot thing was the story, right? Mm -hmm. they, it was like, this is it. It's the heroes versus this cosmic omnipotent thing that unmakes worlds and is so dangerous that that dickhead, the living tribunal put him inside our planet. Right. Because why, why? And, and there's so many other uninhabited <laughs> places you could put it. Right. Well, it was so long ago. There was nothing on the planet. The yeah. Time. Okay. So sure. they do explain you're, that. You're, look, you're, you're three you're for a guy with three heads and presumably three brains. You sure are an idiot. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like it, it, it felt like the robot, uh, the battle with the cosmic beastie was the main thing, uh, coupled with what I, I like. Everyone was kind of like, "Oh yeah, it's a world where, where like something happens. There's no power. Sure. Something, there's something different." Here's you know, Iron Man. Iron Man is a steam powered, uh, has steam powered armory. You know, like there's, uh, you can put the pieces together from from previews. Uh, but. That isn't the story at all. It's that's it's just the setup for the world they find themselves in. Right. And like this reads like it could have been a zero issue to an actual longer uh, a mini uh, like a different mini series. Right? I don't disagree uh, at all. It, it almost reads to me like they had a four issue mini series lead up to this, and they were like, mm, "I think we're just gonna go with the main story." And he's like, "All right." I'll just crush that whole four issue miniseries into the prologue <laughs> of the first issue. How's that sound? Yeah. I mean, I did. I like, I found it compelling. Like, yes, it's a what if, right. You know, and there is certainly, there's certainly a kind of an instinct with stories like this that makes you go, well, none of it counts. So what does it matter? Sure. Well, but that's, you're reading what ifs cause you think they're fun, right? I don't and, disagree and, with and, that. You're right. And so I read this. And while am I disappointed that it's not Tom Taylor doing like a, a an in continuity Marvel uh, big crossover thing? Yeah, I wish you know I love Tom Taylor. I wish that that was what the chance he was getting. But I also thought that he had a really great handle on all of these characters. They all felt 
you know, kind of accurate to where they would be in their lives at, at this point. And uh, mm-hmm. did they did? Well, kind of, because there's one I, I that mean, doesn't make any sense at all. If if we well, we're going by I mean, modern it's, continuity, it's obviously yeah, obviously it's kind of like this idealized continuity where it's like Spider Man and Mary Jane's baby never died. And I'm not even and, talking about that character. I'm talking about a bad guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously this is an alternate world, and you're gonna have to decide for yourself whether or not you think it's uh, compelling enough to get into. I thought his character work was compelling enough that I did care what happened uh, to these characters, even if they're not my main characters. For sure. Um, the art, uh, the art is great. And you made that comparison to Ryan Stegman, which is certainly uh, no accident because he was the guy that filled in for Stegman on many issues of Venom. Right. And so it, he's a, Ivan Coelho is a great artist. I, I think his work lends itself very well to this kind of story. Does it move really fast? Yes. Does it, uh, is it out of continuity? So you might have difficulty getting invested. Yes. Uh, did I enjoy it? Yes. I'm not sure where I come down on that. Uh, like, is that a skim it? Where's your rating? Um, that's that's what, what I'm saying. Is it, a, is it a skim it? Because you tell a me. person has to decide for themselves. You tell me whether or not they care. You're you're, this is you. I'm you, giving this a buy it. I liked it. Okay. I want to read. I want to read more of it. I'm just saying, and I agree. All the voices. Very good. Art, very good. I think when you take the speed that it moved at, the amount that it tried to do, and the fact that it's an Elseworld type story, that is where it it loses me. It's just too much of too many things. Slow it down, let it breathe. I think it works better. I guess in the end where I came down on uh, this approach is that uh, you couldn't have just thrown us into this future world where nobody, there's no power and everybody's different. Without explaining it. I think you could and gently tell that story. Let it unfold. Anyway, uh, I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it. And, uh, but yeah, you may, you maybe could have like spaced out this status quo a little bit. Joe Patrick, what's Jay Michael Straczynski been doing these days? We haven't heard from that you guy know, for I, a while. I tell you what, he's been cranking out work for artists, writers, and artisans that upstart publisher... AWA, and this week I am talking about Telepaths number one, written by J. Michael Sersinski, with art by Steve Epting. It's three dollars ninety nine cents. Here's your solicit. So, just as I was reading this, I kept looking at it, going, "This dude draws just like Steve Epting. This is crazy." <laughs> and then I went back. I was like, "Okay, idiot, it's Steve Epting." <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> astute. An electromagnetic disturbance results in the sudden awakening of telepathic powers in a tenth of the earth's population in the moments after the world comes to grips with its development, newly telepathic Boston police find themselves sent against a wrongly convicted prisoner who becomes a hero and leader of other telepaths trying to escape a world in which their powers will make them targets. Both are heroes of their own story and the future may depend on whether or not trust can be found between them. First off, there's a lot of stuff in that solicit that comes nowhere close to happening in this issue. Uh, nobody comes to grips with anything in this issue. No. Uh, the wrongly convicted prisoner stabs a guy in the neck with a pen. He may have been for the record. He could be wrongly convicted. He does murder someone in cold blood. He definitely murders a man in this comic. Uh, yes, there's police been in it. And one of them becomes a telepath. Uh, so, right. So this book has a very large cast, big budget TV drama feel like a lost or a, uh, 
the 4,400, you know, one of those genre shows where it's like, here's a thousand different characters and how the big event in this world has impacted all of their lives. JMS is trying to juggle that cast and set up this world. Uh, and, uh, you know, like from the cover to the way the cast are introduced and the way the plots set up, I immediately was like, this should be a TV show. And that might in fact be what they're gunning for. Unfortunately, the 20 or so pages presented here aren't really able to keep up with the pacing of an hour-long drama. Uh, JMS hints at some lofty goals in the solicit and in the back matter, but the first issue barely scratches the surface, so I found myself wishing that I had a little bit longer to get going. Kind of similar to Dark Ages, except he doesn't get to the point as quickly as Tom Taylor did. Agreed. The premise is interesting, but it also feels very familiar. With a global catastrophe of some kind suddenly awakening strange abilities in our cast. We've seen it in a lot of genre fiction in recent years. We've seen it, it in happened. genre fiction he's written. Yes. This is uh, rising, rising stars. Yes. <laughs> rising stars. It is heroes. It is, uh, uh, what was the one? I, uh, it's, uh, the, it's new universe. Yeah. The, like the, the, it's, uh, it's, it's the milestone universe. Night it's of the like, Comet. I mean, like, right. yeah, it go, the list goes on and on and on. The hook of how people in power would react to a group of psychics suddenly appearing in close proximity to them is kind of compelling. Like somebody on staff that works for the president is suddenly a telepath. I can imagine that that would not be convenient. Steve Etting is on our duty, so I don't really need to spend much time here singing his praises. He's the perfect artist for a project like this. Without a doubt. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's full of intrigue and different personalities and a lot of talking heads. Steve Etting, he's your guy. Telepaths number one's familiar premise didn't quite hook me in the few pages that it's given, but it looks great. And there is enough here to bring me back for a second look. I'm going to give this a strong skim it. I'm not sure why I felt differently with this rating than I did with uh, Dark Ages. But at the end of the day, I was like, I want to read more of Dark Ages right I'm now. Sure I know exactly why, because the thing wasn't in this comic book. That's the only. Well, I mean, yeah, that might look I'm basic. I'll admit it. I'm basic. That might be true. But at the, when I finished both books, there was one that I was like, all right, well, I want to see what happens in the second issue. And it, with telepaths, I was like, I may or may not ever read the second issue and my life will not change. OK, you know what this read like to me? This read to me like JMS pitched his old comic book series rising yes. stars as a tv show and the tv people went you know what we love it we love it one problem uh all those powers and all the cg and stuff that's going to get really expensive what if they were just telepaths what if they we were can't, just like, like what if they just we have minds? no budget for a superhero costume right. even for that one guy like, i'll tell you that what much. if they were just telepaths and he was like I can do that. Yep. We'll, we'll edit yeah. it. And now they're telepaths. This is the same story, Joe. This is the same story he wrote. In I mean, Stars. yeah. Uh, uh, now, yes and no. Minus yes. maybe the Highlander aspect comes into it too. We don't know where they all get more powerful. As well, in rising stars, it was, it was specifically all of the kids that were born in a small town, but yes. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it hits a lot of the same it, buttons. It absolutely does. And I, I look, I've just seen this premise too many times. This is not, a clever of enough execution of it to hook me into more. And it just feels like they're pitching it to TV that, and I've said that about several AWA books now where it just feels like they have a direct pipeline to some TV studio that gets a first look at this stuff because it's so TV. This is so heroes. 
It's just ugh. yeah. I mean, I'm not it's kind it's, of like a it's lousy. It's like not, it's a man, like it's a factory. Like it's yes. an assembly line. This is not lousy by any means, but it's nothing more than a skim. And I really don't plan on reading anymore. Steve Epstein, wildly talented guy, love him. Skim it. I'd watch this show. I bet I, I would I'll watch say it. That. I bet I'd watch it for four or five episodes before I went done. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> I know where this is going. Shazam! Remember when Future State happened a few months ago? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it was a whole thing, right? You know, we were like, oh man, that's crazy. Let's get back to the regular DCU. Well, welcome back to the road to Future State, Joe Patrick. We are talking about Batman, Fear State, Alpha. From DC, it's $4.99. I have a little bugaboo, and I like to share these every once in a while. Like, little things about comics you can't stand. We did, like, a, a question of the week not too long ago, where we did that. Like, what's this one thing that bothers you they do in comics? Whenever you don't number a comic, I don't care if it's a zero issue. I'm fine with that. Or one shot. That's still got a number in it. Alpha. Ugh. <laughs> I hate that shit. <laughs> uh, I do. I do draw the line at like number X, you know, H U. Right. Right. For, right, right. Uh, you know, yeah, knock that shit need, off. I don't need decimal points. I don't need fractions. Yeah. Just give me a real number. All right. Right. This is written there, by James. There Tinian are an IV. infinite number of real numbers. You exactly. know, that, right? like, you can do it. This is written by James Tinian the four with art by Ricardo Frederici. Here's your solicit. The event over a year in the making begins. Fear State settles upon Gotham City and no one is safe. Overwhelmed by the dual threat of the Scarecrow and Peacekeeper 01. Remember him? Oh man, he's been so cool for so long. I had no idea who he was. Batman and his allies have been one step behind since the events of Infinite Frontier Zero. And with the arrival of mysterious anti-Oracle and the return of Poison Ivy, Batman might have more than he can handle. I would argue Poison Ivy returns not only once, but two times. And I went, what the fuck is that about? (laughs) Yes, exactly. This is the story of how Gotham ended up in the future state state, I guess we saw not too long ago during the DC (laughs) future state event, the future state state. And I got to say, it feels a little forced. I am fine with the scarecrow trying to poison Gotham with fear toxin and some kind of military industrial complex. Trying to be Gotham's savior, I guess. But it does seem like someone is taking over Gotham at least three times a year now. They actually reference that in this comic. They do. I get why Bane would try it. He's crazy. He's a villain. But even that seemed pretty fishy when the whole rest of the United States reacted by saying, oh, well, guess we lost Gotham, comma, Like, again. you don't have... <laughs> There's not one guy in the Justice League that can stop Bane in like over his lunch break. Well, and this whole thing with the magistrate and everything, I get that that was a thing in Future State. We got to figure out how to get there. I find it hard to believe that a UFO showed up. The police were like, we're all working with the magistrate now. And the entire like federal judge system of not only Gotham, but the United States went, sounds legal to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) just to clarify, it's the magistrate's UFO, right? It's not an actual UFO. No, it is the magistrate's UFO. It's yes. like his it's like his helicarrier. I like, guess or something. Frederici's art is borderline amazing at times, but it gets a little too photo referenced it with the It does faces. get weird at the end. It I, gets wonky at the end. I really like some panels, but looking at them again, I think I only liked panels where characters were masked. 
There's just something really weird about his face. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point because right? the, the panels that are jumping into my mind where it's like, oh, that's weird. It was like a, it was a character was with a full face. Somebody making a face and it was just like a little too real, you know? <laughs> I like James Tinian's writing, but it's probably time for him to leave Batman. So he's going out with a bang here. I've got good news. Yeah. Tinian like other creators, seem to shine when working on their creator-owned books. And he's very excited about his Substack deal, which he's rumored to be getting half a million dollars for. <laughs> and what yeah, he has we'll be talking in about store. That. We'll see how Fear State works with Future State, but it will be really odd if Fear State ends with them saying, now go reread all the Batman Future State stuff again. Excelsior! <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, is, this is... so. Future State was supposed to be a shock where we go, oh, my God, how do we get here? This is the yeah. story of how we get to there. And I have to say, the story of how we get to there was more confusing and bizarre than the knee jerk to the future where I had no fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> right. At least there, there was a reason. Right. Here, it's just like, yeah. uh, is it, this is what's happening in Batman right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving this a skim it. Now, to be perfectly fair, neither one of us are current on Batman. That's fair to say, right? Like, okay. I definitely am not. I read the last three issues. After I read this, I went, okay, hold on. And I just went back three issues and went, I'm going to read three of the." And even after reading those, I still I was like, yeah, uh. I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, but I mean, th that magist this magistrate stuff's been boiling up for a while. Well, no, the magistrate uh, thing stuff comes out of future state. Is mentioned no, no, in the infinite. But I mean, uh, the 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 stuff with the the guy Simon whatever, uh, who is the who is the magistrate? He's the oh the right leader. right right. He has been like, he's been around, but all this like is he, out of his, infinite. His, he's been scheming for a while now, right? I, like I know that I've seen him. Um, but there's so much going on in this comic, and there are characters that popped in uh, again. To be perfectly fair, I have I'm behind on Batman. I haven't been reading Batman. But I read this comic and the only reaction I had to this comic was I might as well stop reading Batman yeah. altogether until Joshua William comes on and starts it over. Yeah, this felt like an exit point for those of you who are like, don't know what's going on. Feel free to get off the ride here if it's too scary. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, there are characters, there are characters here that they barely name. Yeah. They like, and I, again, I was going with it because I haven't been reading the book, but it's like, there's a character that's clearly Ghost Hunter. I, I know enough from news stories to know that it was Ghost Hunter. They never say his name. Uh, though there's a girl that looks kind of like the Joker who is not the Joker, and that's a joke in the book, but her name is. They mentioned her name once. It's like Molly Miracle or Miracle Molly or something. Yeah. And I kept thinking, it's like, you just, you guys just introduced this hot new Harley Quinn replacement character punchline. Where is punchline? Are we, are we done? Like, are we, are we just like cranking out new characters, trying to sell books and then forgetting that they even exist? She's not part of this storyline. I'll tell you that much. She's not in it. Yeah. She's not in it at all. Uh, I think the new, I think the scarecrow's new design is really awesome. It's, it's um, rad. I like it. It's, it's very scary. Uh, considering where he came from. Um, so anyway, the, the, the basic premise where you've got this guy who runs, you're basically a, a military contractor, right? Swooping into a vulnerable city in a state of distress and saying, ha, ha, now's my chance to scoop up power. Like, you know what? I get it. I get it. Sure. I think it's plausible in the world of comic books. 
And he makes a point of saying, certainly in Gotham, like, this doesn't happen in Metropolis yeah, right. it's like or Gotham anywhere City, else. This happens not in Gotham only did, all the fucking time. On a regular basis, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not only did Gotham City get fully taken over by Bane, uh, but right afterwards, there was a Joker war that brought the city to a screeching halt. And like, nobody knows what to do. Montoya is the commissioner. That was a curveball. I didn't yeah, know. I uh, didn't see coming. Okay. <laughs> I don't like, even remember that in the future state books. I don't remember no. that. And, and so like, there was a point where my willingness to accept blame for not being caught up with Batman ended yes. and I started being upset. Yeah. I just got frustrated. all of the thing like, like what, like there were so many different moving targets in this book that I didn't know what to focus on. Yeah. I don't know why there's two poison ivies. None of it is explained. No. And you have to think that this is part one of a major story. That's going to touch bat books that I do read. Right. I read Nightwing religiously every month, and now I have to be expected to know what's going on in Fear State. And I am here to tell you, I do not. I don't care either. And this takes me back uh, to that. All you got to do, if this is a thing, if it's a thing and we missed it, maybe we're guilty. Maybe Joe and I are completely guilty. Uh, yeah. And someone who's reading Batman, it's like, you guys are idiots. All you got to do to make me realize that is put in one box that says, see Batman, yeah. Future State, whatever. And I go, okay, it's established. There we go. I'm fine right. with it now. While I am in favor of saying, look, everybody's got to have their own adventures. Don't sweat it so much, you know, suspend your disbelief. I find it very difficult to suspend my disbelief that in a shared universe where Batman is best friends with Superman. I, I know Superman would not shut this shit down on day one, minute one. Right. It's or at least the sound- American government would be like, right, we like, have a problem no, with like, this. Like the military doesn't show up and be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, like, look, like if I, Elon I, Musk decided he was taking over San Francisco. There right. would be problems <laughs> like people. Be yes. Like, ah, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And uh, like, so there's a point where my suspension of disbelief had to stop where my own blame for not being caught up on the bat universe stopped. And this comic just became impossible. Yeah. And, um, it might be a leave it for me. It might be. A leave I think it. it's you, a leave it for I me. It's a leave it. I mean that too. Uh, I think it's a, and leave like it. a I, I was going to give it a skim it. But the more I talked about it, the angrier about it I became. Yeah. The, the, I, angry is the wrong the, word, but you know what I mean. The execution is really bad. This is not how you start an event. You have to expect people that don't read your book to be coming on to the book for this event, well, either because they read the ancillary books or because they're just right. interested in an event. And I'll take it a step further. If you're going to do a thing where you have a time jump that's already like a big like, oh, man, get ready for this. And now we'll gently lead up to that time jump to get you in there. You got to be really careful and you got to execute that perfectly. And this is not doing it. This feels like another time jump. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I mean, we don't, we don't get to future state yet. This is still like the buildup, right? This is the road to future state. Right. But I mean, we're still on the road. Like, so I guess we'll see. Shit. I'm giving it a leave it. Like I'm giving it a leave it too. You talked me into it. This was impenetrable as a comic book. Yes. It, unless you are a dedicated reader of probably 90% of the Batman titles. Even then, and I would like to hear from somebody who is, if you're out there and you're listening to this, I'm not going to yell at you. It, tell us we're wrong. And that's fine. I would feel better knowing that because right now well, and I'm, this feels like an impenetrable mess. All right, let's leave Gotham behind and get back to America. All right. Yeah. Cause I definitely feel like at this part, Gotham is not, in any no, America, not whatever. part of any America, no. 
We're talking about Almost American, number one. It's from Aftershock. It's written by Ron Mars with art by Marco Castiello. It's $4.99. Kind of expensive. Here's your solicit. Spies like us? In 2008, husband and wife Russian intelligence operatives walked into the U.S. Embassy in the Dominican Republic in order to defect, making a deal to trade secrets for new lives. But instead of the American dream, Janosch and Victoria Newman found themselves caught up in red tape, bureaucracy, and turf wars between the FBI and the CIA, all while their past tries to kill them. Based on the real-life story of real-life spies, Almost American is written by that guy, Ron, in close consultation with the Newmans, with art by that other guy I mentioned. That's two real lives, by the way, so you know this is real life, dude. It's double real. It's, <laughs> yeah. du- it's, it's double real, real. Real, real life life. Almost American drew me in right from the start with its real, real life life inspired story of two Russian spies trying to come in from the cold. This is more Tinker Taylor soldier spy than it is the living daylights. So it's a slow burn. Uh, I still find it compelling. I don't know if I'm just a mark for spy stuff in general, but like I was invested. I don't, I can't explain it. As we followed Alexi and Victoria Artamanova's long dangerous journey, that's their characters' names. I kept waiting for something terrible to happen, but that's not what this story is all about. There's even a few pages of excellent back matter from Janosch Newman about his life post-defection. I couldn't get enough of it. Mars's script is accompanied by some decent art by Castiello. Uh, I, it's a little bit stiff. He's not very emotive, but I did yeah. get some strong Giuseppe Kim and Coley vibes, uh, which made me wonder if they used to work together. Uh, like if you think back to how Jesus Marino started out as an inker for Carlos Pacheco, and then he became his own artist. He struck out on his own drawing like JSA and things like that. While almost American number one is a bit of a slow start. It still offers a smart gripping style. Style story. While almost American number one does have a bit of a slow start. It still offers a smart gripping spy story that kicks the cartoonish henchmen and silly gadgets to the curb. There's a place for that. I love that. Sure. This is a much more like intellectual, cerebral kind of spy story. I'm giving it a buy it. I've read some critiques of it and they're all absolutely accurate. This book moves very slow. There's very little offered here to get you invested in the lives of these characters, but it was all about the journey for me and I was into it. So I have to wonder if there was a choice by Aftershock to make this episodic, you know, month by month first and then release the trade paperback. But they wrote this as one big story, as one big trade. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case, because you're right. It does move a little slow. I also very much enjoyed it. And there's two ways you can go with this. You're right. You can go James Bond, Big Bang, oh my God, bad guy with a crazy scar on his face and the, the weather is yeah, going to you, know. you know, or you can do this intense, slow burn, the Americans type thing. Like when I started right. watching the Americans, the first couple episodes, I was like, what, what, what am I doing this for? And then something happens and you go, oh shit, they're faking everything. Right. I you mean, know? it's like Argo. It's like Argo, right? It's like right. 90% of the movie Argo is, is Victor Garber sitting in a room quietly with his friends being very nervous. Right. But when it's executed well, and it is executed well here, it's, it's so, it's super fun to, to read. It's hard yeah. to do it in a comic book format. And like I said, I have a feeling this was going to read better as a graphic novel. I'm giving this Probably. a buy it. With that said, I'm not going to read anymore until the whole thing's out because I want to sit down and read through it. And I bet it's a better read that way. 
that's probably fair. You know, it's kind of it kind of similar to like um, a book, uh, other books were we've reviewed, like Second Chances, right? Recently, where it's like this is a book that was translated for American yeah. audiences, and it probably came out in a graphic novel, not serialized. Right. Not everything and, needs to be that way, and I think there should be a little more thought put into that. Maybe let's just put this out. Here's the whole thing. Bam. Could be harder to sell. Regardless, we've talked about it enough. It's a buy. I really like. Yeah. Let's get out of America and into the water. Shall we, Joe Patrick? It's time to get wet with our friend, Black Manta. Number one from DC. It's $3.99 in your creative team. It's written by Chuck Brown with art by Valentin DeLeandro. Here's your solicit. Following his appearance in Aquaman 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular. Oh, well, that answers all those questions. There you go. The Scourge of the Seas now gets his own series. Black Manta is chasing a rare metal with incredible powers, and he's not the only one who wants to get their hands on it. I almost said fins, but, you know. Friend and foe alike. He doesn't have fins. I know. That's why I didn't make the joke. Torrid is a former ally who has escaped hell. Literally. Remember that part of that comic? When Torrid escaped hell? Yeah, that's not in here. I mean, it must have happened in the 100-page Super Well, we'll get to that to answer the call of the metal. But can Manta trust her? Hopefully so, because he might need her help to fend off Devil Ray, a new competitor for the role of the biggest villain underwater. Remember when Devil Ray shows up in this? Yeah, that doesn't happen either. No, Both no, Aquaman, the becoming number one, and Black Manta number one feature. I'm not going to read that because it's just about... This is just about the... Okay. Both Aquaman number one, The Becoming, and Black Manta number one feature a connecting variant, yada, yada, yada. Introducing new hero, Torrid, and villain, Devil Ray. Oh, yes. She's in hell. Yes, that does happen in this comic. What? Torrid. Yes, that happens. She's in the underworld. It says it. She is in the underworld. Okay, they just don't name her or something? Uh, well, you don't, see, you don't hear her name. You know, They don't oh, give Lord. her name, but she is the woman that's in Hades, and she escapes, and she's got the fiery sword. Now, this sounds like something that i would cut from the show because it'd be like oh man it sounds like matt didn't read the comic yeah but i'm I, telling yes. you right now this is part yeah, of my no. review I, I, <laughs> like, like i am with you like i i am not blaming you this is 100 an accurate and worthwhile feeling because that scene does not feel like it belongs in this comic no i thought maybe it was like what was that about but there's a couple and if other you did not like if you did not read the solicit or the aquaman anniversary issue so let's just now let's yeah. hold on there. Pump the brakes. I'm going to talk Matt, about that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it only took three pages for me to start wondering what the hell I missed in that Aquaman 80th anniversary special that got Black Man into the place where he's dealing with old timey pirates that sail old timey pirate galleons to rob modern day boats. It turns out these pirates rob Black Manta's partner, Gallows the Goat, which just heightened my what the hell is feelings. On top of that, there's a side story where some villains with color code names and the human flame are robbing something. But Blue, who's one of the colored villains, has a plan, and it involves sucking oh, the shit. human flame's essence into a bracelet so he can cut the metal. Well, then that must be Devil Ray. Metal art attack. Yeah, I guess that's Devil Ray. Maybe. Yeah. This shit. is when I All stopped, right. and I decided... To take the solicit's advice and read the Black Manta story Jeff Johns wrote in the recent Aquaman 80th anniversary issue. Guess what? No clues there whatsoever. Should have cleared things up, right? Nope. Just the story of BM and his son. It wasn't bad, but it certainly didn't set this weird mess up at all. 
I went on to read the entirety of the 80th anniversary issue. What? Why? <laughs> because I had to see if it sets any of this up. And I can tell you squarely does not. Okay. <laughs> the well, art, that's fine. The art was very solid. It was a little stiff in some panels, but DeLeandro's thick lines and deep black shading look very cool. They give the book a ton of style. I just don't know what I read and I don't know what the hell is going on. Also, I'm just going to say it. I don't think the Black Manta is a very compelling villain. I, that, with that said, any character can be compelling if written right. Without reading the solicit for this book, you're going to feel like you read three separate, yes. completely separate comic stories yes. drawn by the same person that and I accidentally got put into the same book. I'm Correct. giving this a leave it because it fucking... Yeah baffled me. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yes, uh I did not read the solicit before I read this because why would I? I'm not necessarily in the habit of reading every no, solicit before I read the comic. And you read it. Like like 99% of the comic reading public never sees the solicits ever. And so, yeah, I I just read this. I read this and I was like, "Oh, Black Manta. Okay. The art's great." Uh wait, what? Uh well, who's this now? And like, wait a minute. That guy's sucking souls out of what? The human flame, didn't he get killed in Final Crash? It's like, I didn't even know who the human flame was. Okay, so, so the human, in, uh, the, it, like, regardless, it, it doesn't matter. But take it from like a person who doesn't know who the human flame is. Maybe the human flame is like an energy character in a suit. I don't fucking know, but you might want to explain that before he slit his throat. And then you go, let me suck your life force into this. And he goes, okay. And then he like turns sure. into bubbles and goes yeah, into a yeah. like, what just happened? So, right. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, did, did it need to be explained or not? I don't know. But uh, like, at least that part of it, uh, Infinite Frontier, the whole thing with Infinite Frontier is that the multiverse has been restored. Characters that are dead are back. Uh, and we don't know who and blah, blah, blah. So Human Flame, he was dead. He's not dead. Um, and in this, he's just like third rate villain who thinks he's the boss. He is not the boss. He gets his ass killed. Whatever. Apparently by but Devil Ray. By, oh. Apparently by a guy who is going okay. to be Devil Ray. It is not. <laughs> he is not named. He is not. It's not. No. Explained. There's a there is a scene where like, look, fucking spoilers. OK, because it doesn't matter. Uh, suddenly the book goes to the underworld, like literally the Greek underworld Hades. And. Uh, there is a woman in chains with fiery blonde hair and she breaks away and fights off the demons with a fiery sword. Apparently that must be torrid. Uh, again, it's completely disconnected from anything that's going on with black Manta yeah. who does fight a pirate, uh, uh, an old timey pirate ship full of guys dressed like old timey pirates. Um, again, that is also never explained. Yeah, uh, I just like I wrote that off as some Silver Age nonsense that they were calling back to, which is fine. Um, but the, here's the thing about Aquaman. He's got very few uh, recognizable villains that you can name drop in casual storytelling. Well, and that's that's the other thing. Like, look, I've never given a shit about Black Manta. What a perfect chance in infinite, you know, uh, horizon to infinite, do something yeah. interesting with the character. Sure. This is not it. Uh, so, uh, just a, a quick aside, Joe's story time. Uh, this book, I'm giving this book. <clears throat> Joe, this is a leave it. There's no, come on, man. There's no question. Yeah. I'm not going to read more. Uh, I'm giving it a leave it. it. It's, there's too much going on. 
none of it is connected. Uh, it's haphazardly, uh, it's haphazardly written. The art is beautiful. I never really felt like it was stiff. I, but again, I, I was so confused by the story. I may not have been paying attention, but yeah, uh, this book is a leave it. It's too confusing. There's too much going on and, uh, no amount of, uh, pre-reading any Aquaman material will get you where you need to be to understand it. You literally have to read the solicit and be like, okay, I'm playing by the solicits rules. Here we go. And then go back and be like, let me connect those jigsaw puzzles to the solicit. Oh, I see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, again, though, Valentine, Valentine DeLandro stellar, very gorgeous art. Let's talk about something positive, like a dreary comic about a guy with a dead daughter. Yeah. Let's talk about dead kids. Something a little more uplifting. (laughs) Right. If there's one thing that brings me out of the doldrums, it's dead kids. Uh, we're talking about May's book number one from Dark Horse. It's written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. It's five dollars and ninety nine cents. Uh, it's a thick boy. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a hefty beefy boy. Here's your solicit. Uh, New York Times, blah blah blah. Eisner Award winning. You know the guy. His name's Jeff Lemire. It's an ambitious and haunting comic series about family, mourning, and reality. I'll give you that. A lonely building inspector still grieving the loss of his puzzle loving daughter receives a mysterious phone call one night from a girl claiming that it's her and that she's trapped in the middle of a labyrinth convinced that this child is contacting him from beyond this world he uses an unfinished maze from one of her journals and a map of the city to trace an intricate path through a different plane of reality on an intense and melancholy adventure to bring his daughter back home the only way out pause for dramatic effect that's too long pausing too long is in dot 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 bullet bullet bullet. <laughs> okay and to be uh, fair we yielded other books yeah we did and i'll get I, I thought of that as well okay. I'll, let me i'll get that right. out of the way um this this bit about the unfinished maze and the journal and the mapping the city that does not happen no however what does happen uh is a complete story well established by a master storyteller. Uh, let's get the art discussion out of the way first. Jeff Lemire's style can be divisive. It's odd for sure. Uh, I personally really love it. Some people do not. Whether you like his line art style or not, no one can deny that Lemire is a tremendous visual storyteller. This issue is full of inventive layouts that range from the rigid humdrum of daily life to the ethereal haze of memory. He also has a way of evoking a ton of emotion with some squiggly lines and a few colors. May's book is a dreary story about a father plagued by the loss of his daughter, just going through the paces of his mundane life over and over. The only color we ever get, it's monochrome, kind of like Casanova. So it's kind of like beige and, and black, right? The only color we get other than that comes from his broken memories and a bright red line that metaphorically links Will to his daughter at the other end of the maze. Lemire does such an outstanding job getting me invested in Will's life, such as it is. So when things start to get weird, I had to know what happens next. I had to. I was like, I, where, where is this issue? Now, I know I did not say much about the actual writing, like the script, but in a project like this, the art and the writing are one. Yeah. Like this is Jeff Lemire on the page. There is no separating the two. At first, I balked at the length of the issue. Like I loaded up the the review copy of the PDF. It was like 52 pages. I was like, Jesus, Jeff, nobody's got time for that. We got to review eight books, man. But reading it felt almost 
effortless. And not only was it over before I knew it, but I immediately wanted more. Jeff Lemire is the master of weird, sad bastard comics and May's book fits right into that mold while still somehow reading like something completely different than everything he's ever written before. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Totally agree. And if weird, sad bastard is not on his gravestone when he dies, then there's something wrong with the universe. Yeah, this I, I can't add a lot more to that. This was gorgeous. This is what Jeff Lemire does best. I think the most impressive thing that Jeff Lemire is doing right now is literally putting out eight or nine books a month that he's writing yeah. of this quality. They can yeah, like we're going to touch on this again in a second. There's like another my one pick next of the week, week. My pick of the week for next week is also a Jeff Lemire. There joint. is another one this week and the early reviews are outstanding. Yeah. This yeah, is can't fantastic. Wait. This feels like, again, it was made to go on the big screen. I would love to watch a show or a movie about this with the right artistic director that can do it right. Yes. This right. was gorgeous. It's a huge buy. With what you just said, I want to contrast that against a guy like Mark Miller. Mark Miller comics feel almost mercenary in that you know that they are written specifically. It's like they are written according to an algorithm that will guarantee a result. The same with the AWA book we just read, Telepath. Same kind thing. of, yeah. Like, um, here's your television I, script. And I never feel that way about anything Jeff Lemire's written. Like, I don't feel, when I read a Jeff Lemire comic like this, like when I read Gideon Falls or when I read Black Hammer, uh, or Sweet Tooth, I never think to myself, he's just gunning for uh, the big time. He's trying to why? cash in. Do you know why? And it's not just because he's talented. It's because Jeff Lemire writes with soul. He literally yeah, writes. He's an artist. He writes yeah, like with He's soul. truly an artist. It's a difference between and, listening to like, it's a difference between listening to Miles Davis do what he does and the killers do what they do. They're both very talented musicians, but Miles yeah. Davis is doing it because this is coming out of his soul. The killers right. are writing music that is aimed directly at white people that want to snap and count to four, you know? <laughs> sure. Right. And they're good at it. They do their and thing. There's a, and pl- there's a place for that. Right. Yes. And like, uh, don't get me wrong. I like a catchy ditty, but, and this is of course, having no knowledge of the man himself to me, Jeff Lemire's success in other media, be it TV or movies or whatever is ancillary, not the primary function. I would argue it's even and, despite, what he does because yeah right like, exactly it is oh yeah exactly almost that, like I, i'm kind of stunned that they haven't tried to make gideon falls into a tv show oh i have a feeling it's coming now the sweet tooth was successful i have a feeling the floodgates are open but and good yeah, for you I, I, you know what lemire? yeah no it's like i want like jeff lemire you, you did it man it. yeah speaking of bad motivations let's move on to dead box number one from vault it's <laughs> Wait, written what? by that jerk Mark Russell and his <laughs> jerk friend Ben Tiesma is on art. God, those guys make me sick. Here's your solicit. Welcome to the town of Lost. I say that because I know that he follows us on Twitter and he listens to the show. It's true. Because he and mentions you know, stuff. And so this is me coming at you jerks. No, I'm kidding. I love you guys. Welcome to the town of Lost Turkey, where the main source of entertainment is a cursed DVD machine that seems to know more about the fate of its citizens than they do. And when you read a solicit like that, There really is no way to prepare yourself for what you're getting. And once again, Mark Russell delivers and proves he might be the most clever comics writer out there right now. The story seems to be part slice of life in a small conservative town with the main character making some very poignant observations about American society and part bizarre anthology stories. (laughs) 
as the dead box selects movies that don't seem to actually exist, but speak directly to the viewer's situation. It is a super fun take on an anthology that I'm sure Russell picked to challenge himself. Tiesma's art uses a very scratchy, almost frantic line work at time, but it creates this real humanity and emotion, whether it's a, a friendly gun-toting local visiting the local quick shop or <laughs> aliens shocked at how gross human beings can be. <laughs> Deadbox at its heart is just a smart comic book, and it's written for smart fans who are looking for something challenging with real emotional heft and just a hint of the Twilight Zone. I'm giving this a buy it. It was too much fun. Yeah, dude. In order. Uh, the title, Dead Box. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, the premise, it is a cursed red box that rents out cursed movies to people that are cursed. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. That's stupid. In anyone else's uh, hands, this is right, be a yeah, problem. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then it's like, and then creative team, Mark Russell. I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. Uh, I mean, it's like, Millionaire Island, right? It's about a, it's a, an island built by billionaire fuck ups. And of course, it's the worst place on earth. Right. Um, you know, it, it's a ridiculous premise, uh, brilliantly executed by somebody that I maintain is one of the smartest writers in comics. Absolutely. Uh, and like this, I wasn't expecting the anthology take, but that's definitely what we're getting, where we're headed. The art is great. I, I love uh, this gentleman who I, who I was not familiar with, Ben, ben Tiesma, Tiesma? Tiesma. I think it's Tiesma. I think it's a Tiesma. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Tiesma. Hey, you know, be, we, we right? always overpronounce any name that doesn't look immediately American. Let's get out of Rapping. small town America and head to the Savage Land. Yeah, it's Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, number one from Marvel. It's written by Zach Thompson with art by German Garcia. Uh, there's an accent over the E. I don't know how to type that. It's not pronounced German. It's it's Herman Harcia. Herman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's three dollars ninety nine cents. Here's your solicit. Kazar is back from the dead with a whole terrifying set of powers. They are they are new for yeah, sure. They scared I don't know me terrifying. really bad. I'll tell you that much. I got scared, dude. <laughs> the alien Kotati murdered him. The Savage Land brought him back. Lord Plunder has returned with a vastly new perspective. Now united with Shanna the She-Devil in a mystical merging of life energies. Kazar has new abilities, new needs, and new enemies. An ancient evil has surfaced in the Savage Land, one that is rapidly reshaping the forgotten world and its inhabitants. Kazar and Shanna must fight together to protect their home and family, but their son Matthew has plans of his own. Bullet, bullet, bullet. <laughs> uh, hot take. Kazar on paper is not an interesting character. There's a real danger of just leaning hard into the Tarzan tropes that inspired his creation, which is boring after 100 years of Tarzan. Maybe for you. Look, man, I you... Then give me Tarzan. Still Don't give it. me a guy that's not Tarzan they, and make him be Tarzan. Well, that's what happens when you can't get the rights to Tarzan. So. I guess, <laughs> except that Marvel did have the rights to Tarzan for many years and Kazar was still a thing. Anyway, the best Kazar stories feature the writers coming up with something new to say, like the Mark Wade run that had our hero almost forsake the Savage Land due to what was more or less a midlife crisis. Zach Thompson has certainly brought a unique spin to the character here. And uh, it may be a little too unique. I don't know. Kazar is struggling with his recent death and resurrection during the events of empire. 
and it's affecting his relationships with his home and his family. Uh, he's got a weird new shape-shifting outfit. <laughs> Don't say symbiote. <laughs> it's, it's not alive. a symbiote. It's not. It's it's, it's alive it's though. Fungal. It is. It is alive. <laughs> it's a fungus. Uh, yeah, you know, fungi can be symbiotic as well. Uh, he's got a set of powers that have basically turned him into Marvel's answer to Animal Man, I guess. Shanna is like one with the land or something. I don't know. It's very well written, but I definitely feel like I would have benefited from reading those Empire tie-ins. On the other hand, I also kind of felt like my own disconnect matched what Kazar was going through. Like okay. Kazar, like Kazar is like, I don't know what the fuck is my life now. I don't know what's going on. What is that thing? Is that a plant monster? I, this is the seven. What's going on? Ah. Did that moss just spell out a word? I don't know. It did. Uh, so, you know, it kind of worked for me. Uh, there's something brewing, something weird and definitely sinister is brewing in the Savage Land. It has its hooks in Kazar's kid. The art by German Garcia, German Garcia, is really beautiful. <laughs> Stop uh, doing the that. Soft, that was a bad joke on my part. I'm I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, the, it is not fun to make fun of the names of no. uh, other people. The soft painted color art by Matthias Lopez brings a vibrant sense of life to the Savage Land and its inhabitants. When we do that, it's more that we're making fun of ourselves. Right. Yes. We're not the idiots. The actual no, person. We the, are the idiots. Your we're name is dummies. not the problem. We're the dummies. You're supposed to laugh at us. Yes. Kazar number one offers a truly different take on the Lord of the Savage Land. I got to say, though, I am curious to see where it goes from here. I'm giving this a buy it. It was weird. Like Matt and I were texting about it. It's like Kazar's got a tail. What do I do? Yeah. Look, I love Kazar. I love the character. And I, everything I love about Kazar is definitely from that Mark Wade Kazar series. I totally agree with that. But I like the idea of him before that. This is a weird place to go with the character, but I can't say that they didn't execute it well here and other characters. We've seen them go through weird changes that we instantly were repelled and we're like, yeah. no, I don't want right. that. By the end yeah. of the issue, I was like, that's weird, you know, but I can't say I don't want more. I'm going to give this a buy it as well. Cause yeah. the art, is very good. It's stunning. I think it's, it's stunning. written very well. And I agree. I didn't read all those tie-ins and I, I didn't uh, think about it from your point where you said like, well, guess who wasn't around for those tie-ins? Kazar. Cause he died. He's just right. now back and shit is different and he's trying to adjust. And they did a nice job of giving you that feeling. Like, don't worry. You're going to figure it out along with Kazar. Yeah. And I, I will say that we did complain about other books this week that referenced too much without explaining without a doubt um however the difference is i didn't feel punished by it in this comic i read i read this comic and i was like oh i missed some things that's fine kazar also doesn't have any clue what's going on so whatever well, I'm that's the other thing. With it. that is how they're telling the story kazar doesn't know what's going on and all the touchstones are there. It's not like Kazar showed up yeah. and there's two Shana, the she devils and one of them yes, is crazy. Right. You know, like what? <laughs> yeah. Happening? Right. And, it, and it's like, and all through the book, you've got his wife going, Hey, I understand what you're going through. Right. It's okay. I understand. You'll be okay. We'll get there. You're fine. Right. And, and that's true. Just go with it. Let the story take you. It's a mini series. Trust it to be self-contained. If you liked it enough to read the first. And issue. I do think there's something cool about directly connecting him to the savage land like now you're yes. not just a protector of the savage land your power comes from the savage land now like do i That's need to cool. do like do i really did i really like long for kazar to get superpowers no no 
But I do hope but whatever. that when Kazar leaves the Savage Land, he doesn't have his powers. I hope it's a thing. I, like, you know what? That's good. I, 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 I find that compelling. I don't think he should have powers when he right. leaves the source. I of think the power, rules yeah. are the further he gets from the savage land, the less he has his powers. It's like fighting Namor, right? It's like, yeah, yeah he's formidable on land, but, but once he dries don't out, fight him in the water. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is eight comics up and eight comics down, Joe Patrick. But we got to pick one from this pile to enter the THN permanent collection. What was the best damn thing you read out of our pile? Maze book. Maze book. I was going to say maze book before you even finished the, okay. <laughs> the sentence. Uh, no, it was maze book. Maze book, number one, I was blown away. I was like, this this is so beautiful and touching and depressing and hopeful somehow. I don't know how it's also still hopeful. Uh, Lemire with with adding watercolor to his oh man squiggly line art like it it, it doesn't get any better than that for me yeah. and the way and, that um, he adds yeah, the watercolor is just yeah wow and, and yeah no it was uh, it was maze book number one so I'm gonna go with with dead box number one and it's because I did really love this dead is box. not a dig on Jeff Lemire but even when I don't know what a Jeff Lemire book is gonna be about I know you, that I'm you in, know what to expect from I know Jeff I'm gonna Lemire. get a Jeff Lemire experience. Mark Russell continues to surprise me every time. He continues to go, just hit me with something like, that's where this is going. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you go to it's like when you go to Showbiz Pizza, you know you're gonna see the Rock of Fire and explode. We have constantly been wanting we, we talk about how much we like anthologies when they're done well, but how hard anthologies can be. This feels like one that can be executed really well and allow him to tell any kind of fucking story he wants. Well, and also <laughs> an, antholo- an anthology where it's one story per issue by the same creative team right. every time is a whole different beast than a 60-page anthology yes. by six different creatives. And serving a, is specifically serving a story as well. I think that helps a lot. Yeah. You can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays if you want to read along. And don't forget to check our Instagram. That's right. We're all over your social media. We're up in the grams. We're up in the... Get on our gram, yo. Uh, If you want to see our covers of the week every Wednesday. Matt, what was your cover of the week this week? My cover of the week went to Conan 25, a guy named Mr. Garcin. I believe did it and he does a bunch of these amazing collages where he like literally takes pieces from comic books and assembles them so they make sense and not in like that way where you have to like cross your eyes and see it like it's just there. yeah no it, it yeah it's like a mosaic there is a skeletor one that he did fucking awesome sure. <laughs> i want to own it my cover of the week was it was the marvel handbook shocker data page variant yeah, for cool as hell. amazing spider-man 70 whatever issue it was uh drawn by david baldion cool as hell it's so cool i love that shit also please let us know what you thought about all of the comics we reviewed and all of the stuff that you're currently reading on our live call-in show it's called thn cover to cover we're back this saturday on facebook live from 11 a.m to noon central time Welcome to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I like to relax after a long review session surrounded by our collection of magical tomes and mystic artifacts. Joe, the rotary phone of Rintra is ringing. And it should be Rintra himself. Rintra. With our must-read picks for next week. Rintra, you know, minotaur, green, furry, nice guy. Yeah, he's like a goat man. Yeah, I love that guy. He's a minotaur. I thought he was more like goat-like, but I think you're right. He's he's a a minotaur. From a minotaur world. 
Rintra has selected for me primordial number one from Image Comics. It's three ninety nine with a story by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. That is your Gideon Falls creative team. If you weren't paying attention, Rintra, uh, huge Jeff Lemire guy. He loves. He is. You know what else he loves? <laughs> Books that are suggested for mature audiences. Yeah, he likes his stuff a little, you know, mature. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Mind-bending sci-fi collides with Cold War thriller in this six-issue mini by that creative team I just mentioned. In 1957, the USSR launched the dog Laika into Earth's orbit. That story is heartbreaking. Do not read it. Two years later, the USA responded with two monkeys, Abel and Baker. These animals never returned because animals don't know how to pilot spaceships. Yeah, let alone but, land them. <laughs> like, the piloting's not even the hard part. <laughs> they weren't even shuttles back then. They were just like, no, bathospheres. But unbeknownst to everyone, they did not die in orbit. What? They were taken. What? And now they're coming home. Yeah. That's awesome. Sounds That's great. So great. I love it. It's like we three, but I bet it's going to be. Oh, no. Without as many aliens. tears. <laughs> we shot our animals into space and now aliens have turned them against us. My pick for next week goes to Eternals. Thanos rises from Marvel Comics. It's $3.99. It's written by Kieran Gillen. It's drawn by Dustin Weaver. Remember that guy? Oh. Has not been around for a while. Covered by Asad Ribic, who's also fucking awesome and did the last Eternal series which was great. I read the whole thing. I loved it. Here's your solicit. Bullet! Eternals are created, not born. They have families, but their families make no new children. Bullet! It's simply not what Eternals do. Bullet! Some of them thought they could find a way to change that and believed it would be for the best. Bullet, they were terribly, terribly wrong. Spoiler! Somebody gives somebody a special hug, and then Thanos comes out nine months later, I guess. So, I'm on board. Love what Gillen is doing with his Eternal stuff. I don't think that Thanos is actually the baby, but I think Thanos is going to show up to take the baby away. Yeah, because like we already baby. did the origin of Thanos. We yeah. had that Thanos rising thing that Jason Aaron wrote uh, some years back. So I don't know if we're revisiting the origin of Thanos or if it's Thanos trying to recruit another baby. I don't cause. think we're revisiting the origin of Thanos. I think it's something else. I think the Eternals well, are fucked I, up and Thanos is here to go. That's interesting. And Al. Yeah. <laughs> right. Every, every mistake is a happy accident. Yeah. According to Thanos. Uh, I need to get caught up on Gillen's Eternals. That's for ding. It was fantastic. Loved it. The THN trade of the week goes to Batman black and white. It's a hardcover from DC. It's $49.99. You might be thinking that's kind of steep, but look, DC has had that kind of like deluxe hardcover format for a lot of years yeah. now, and it's always been $49.99. They're and great if, books. And if you're like us, you have your own podcast that pulls in a few thousand dollars a month. So what's 49 bucks? Don't tell I'm, people I mean, that. On. Don't tell people that they're going <laughs> to think we're not broke. <laughs> Here's your solicit, a brand new incarnation of the groundbreaking anthology series celebrating its 25th anniversary. Holy cow, we're old. There is good, there is evil, and there will always be Batman black and white. This incredible collection features stories digging into the entire Batman mythos, the Batcave, the Batmobile, the Joker, Poison Ivy, Two-Face, Jace, Fox, that guy, Ninja Man Bats, and even Batman of alternate worlds, all done by some of the best creators working in comics today, including... James Tiny Onion the Four, John Ridley, Mariko Tamaki, Jorge Jimenez, Andy Kubert, Joshua Williamson, and more. Every single person on that list already writes or is involved somehow with Batman. And Batman Black and White is just always 
great. It just it's good. I, I just wish like. You know, mention some of the people that are awesome that don't already put out Batman comics. Yeah, guys. but you got it. You're trying to sell stuff here. Wait, it's fifty I bucks, Joe. Fifty bucks, man. You got to get them on board. Come on. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you are looking for a quality read. Also, we have a correction from last week's show. The take a look. It's in a book club read for September is actually Jeff Smith's Tuki which was just recently successfully funded on Kickstarter. And now a quick open letter that Joe asked me to read to the listeners. I'm really embarrassed. This about is it. Joe speaking quote earlier. I tried to blame Matt for forgetting. We agreed this book. We agreed to reading this book, but honestly it was my fault. And here I am being the bigger man and apologizing for yelling at my friend. I sometimes take Matt for granted, but Matt, I'm going to do better. Also, no matter what I say after this, I wrote this, not Matt. Unquote. That, that's very sweet, Joe. I think yeah, that's, that's very it. Those sweet. are my. Those are exactly my words <laughs> as I relayed them to you. Those are exactly uh, your words. Yes. When I told you that we screwed up <laughs> earlier today. Not all of us are ready to go back to the theater, but Matt Baum, he's a man cut from a different cloth, and he ain't gonna let no liberal media COVID conspiracy keep him from the Chang Chi premiere. That's Shang Chi. Sorry, I yep, did it without even did thinking it. about you it. Just did it. <laughs> so he grabbed a bottle of horse dewormer and went to the movies this weekend. I don't know why I'm talking like this. Yeah. It's not that kind of movie. <laughs> it's it's not cry macho. Immediately following the movie. Matt and Mrs. Casey Baum recorded their instant reactions, which we present to you now in our Nerd at the Movies segment. Spoiler free. No spoiler. Mrs. Baum, welcome to the Ziggurat. It's nice to have you again. Thank you for having me. You're a fan favorite that never wants to do anything for the show, <laughs> but every once in a while I twist your arm and make it happen. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so we broke our movie theater quarantine for the second time, and we went and saw Shang-Chi. Yep. And we're going to both try to say shang chi the whole time because that's how you say it shang chi instant reactions how do we feel i told you after we got done with the movie i thought it was good good yes good. i said good not great really yeah i i told you what i liked about it what i didn't like about it there wasn't a lot i didn't like my problem was it was long let's do the didn't like so let's just start there like, okay like what it instantly hit you with like oh, i thought this could have been better or i didn't like this uh i thought it could have been shorter one well what would you have cut out but I mean, no spoilers, well, <laughs> but like let's general, um, I think I would have cut out just some of the fighting. I don't feel like we oh, need. It's a Kung Fu movie, lady. I know, but I feel like the third act of Marvel movies are always just the CGI explosion. You're going to cut stuff. the porn out of the porn? Is so, that what you're going to do? I just do? don't think it needs to be that long. I think we could shave off 20 minutes and that's calling it good. How'd you feel about uh, Simu, Simu Liu? Simu Liu? I thought he was good. Sean. Um, yes. I thought he was good. I think he will be great. I do too. I just think, and I don't think this is anything on him, but I think every other character in that movie had way more personality than he did. I think there was a lot of very strong actors in this. Yes, I agree. And I think they are Marvel. It seems like it's kind of trying to make him like a Chris Evans, like is your new Captain America, you know, origin story type thing. Chris Evans came into Captain America with a lot of acting chops. He'd been in a bunch of movies already. This is this dude's very first movie, right? 
Um, I don't know if it's his first movie, but he's he was on that Kim's Convenience Store. He was on TV. For a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's his first movie, but I thought he was good. He wasn't a bad actor by any means. I thought he was really good, too, but I agree that I think there is a natural personality thing that he either needs to dial up or yes, maybe dial down Yes, I think he needs to dial it up. Bit. You know what I mean? I think he needed to be up just like a scooch, just because everyone else just, I thought, popped, if that makes sense. Yeah, like Aquafina was great. Yeah, she's wonderful. She was good. I thought the guy that played his dad was phenomenal. Tony Lung, yeah, Tony Leon. He was great, incredible. Again, fantastic bad guy. Yeah, he was. I thought the best in the movie. Um, <laughs> and then I thought uh, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, she was great. She, well, she's always great. She's always just wonderful. I just I thought everyone was so so good. And he, again, was good. I just don't he think was he was, like, as good as everyone else. You had, like you said, so many strong people that I feel like he was the tamest of them. I don't know. I think I would have liked to have seen him play it a little more Clark Kent Superman, where he knows he is this thing. Like, it's not a secret to him. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like he's, everyone else right. in his life is finding out. He knows he is this thing. Okay. He, it is a secret that he's keeping from everyone else. And I mean, him and Aquafina aren't romantic, but she becomes his lowest lane where she discovers his secret, finds out about this, gets pulled into this. And I think I wish they would have played it a little more that way. So when he was, you know, just being Sean before Mm -hmm. he was Sean, then it would make sense why he doesn't have as much like personalities. He's he's hiding. He's trying to be a happy go lucky nice guy. But then like when he becomes the master Kung Fu. That's when he gets super serious. Watch out. This is this thing that I used to do. Like, I would have liked to seen a little more duality there. And I think it would have worked better. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Okay. That's not a bad point. You know what I mean? I don't want him to be like a killer. Well, and I don't need him to be super serious (laughs) either. Like, we don't always have to have dark superhero stuff. No. And I don't think he played it dark by any means. But I I just didn't need it to go dark. I just feel like his personality compared to everyone else. I was kind of like. I don't know if I'd be friends with him. I mean, I'd hang out with him, but he wouldn't be my first call to like, yeah, like he's go a, get beers. He's a fun guy. And it kind of felt like he was trying to be a fun, like well, yeah. Aquafina is a fun friend. She right. kicks ass. Yes. I want to hang out with her. I feel he that seems way like too. A fun it was guy like a forced friend. Like that's fun. kind of try to be that way. And I think they could have played off that yeah, a little more. I if agree. they were like, well, he's faking it. Cause I, well, I've seen him on like Twitter and Instagram and I actually think he's actually a funny, smart guy. Yeah. And so I think they should have leaned into maybe his personality a little more. What'd you think of Razor Fist? I could care less. Yeah. There was I didn't not, give a shit about Razor I, Okay, Fist. so I, I feel like most of these Marvel movies, a lot of them, will have a secondary villain like Nebula, for example, in Gardens yeah, of the Nebula Galaxy. Nebula was cool. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a very- and she had a story. There's a very interesting. interesting, very driven secondary villain yeah. that either works for the main villain or has their own plan, and they're trying to like, you know. This guy grunts and has a like, he really didn't do half shit. arm, a nubbin of an arm. Yeah, I, do, I feel like that was kind of a wasted thing. You can hear this whole segment in our Patreon Extra over at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd.com. There's a bunch of you already supporting us, and you deserve extra content. So we're giving it to you, the loyal listener, who shows their love with the pledge of just $1 a month. And check out our other levels if you want to hear Patreon-exclusive content, like our previews after Dark Show, where we go through the comic solicits and tell you what to watch for, and Tales Too Terrible to Tell is making its comeback this month, and TLDR, where we break down the latest comic book event books so you don't have to read them. 
We don't have a show without you nerds, and we cannot thank all of our current patrons enough. For $1 a month, you can get on board too. Excelsior! That is it for THN 634! And next week, the Cosmic Long Box is in charge once again. And this time, it wants to talk about bad beginnings. What are you talking about, man? What are bad beginnings? I'll tell you. Bad beginnings, meaning famous, terrible storylines and how they started. This weekend, we're going to talk about the undoing of Spider-Man since past. A story where we saw Norman and Gwen not only knocking boots, but having twins. <laughs> it was a he whole was, thing. <laughs> he was sad but powerful. So we will revisit some of these terrible storylines to see how they started. Let you know if we thought it was going to be good, immediately knew it was going to be bad, and where it ended up. It's all happening on the Cosmic Long Box next <laughs> you know? week. See, you accused me of never wanting to read things that I knew I wasn't going to like, but I live for this shit. <laughs> this is different. This is different than reading celebrity written comics, I'm here to tell you. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time, hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about the question of the week. We let it run for two weeks. Just so we could marinate a little bit. Joe Patrick. Yeah, so you could really think about it. Reset that crap. I will. I hope you're taking notes because this is an English test. I'll, I will expect you to know where these quotes come from at the end of the question, which was submitted by Frank Cirillo via the THN forums. There are some artists, creators, writers out there in comics and other media who have turned out to be, quote, as loathsome as a toad, end quote. But we didn't know how bad they were till late in their career. So the question is, when you find out that someone is, quote, the rankest compound of villainous smell that ever offended nostril, end quote, do you just stop reading their newest work or do you purge everything they have ever done from your home and memory? If they're that brilliant of a creator, how much time do you feel should go by until the work is recognized on its own apart from the creator's actions a good example is H.P. Lovecraft, that rampant racist. I tend to burn all their stuff and dance around it naked until it loses its power. Uh, now, Matt, your test. Uh, where did the first quote come from? So I'm going to guess Titus, Titus Andronicus, Act 4, Scene 3. Is that correct? Ooh, well done. You okay. know your Shakespeare. All and right. the second quote, please. I'm going to go with Spaceballs. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, it is The Merry Wives of Windsor, Act 3, Scene Come 5. On. As you um, received a 50% score, that is an F. I'm that sorry. That is an F. I could have sworn that was Mel Brooks. Ah. <laughs> uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We need them. We thrive on them. We live for them. You can send them to us via email, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you get in touch with us. Yeah. You can call us at 402-819-4894. You can join our Zoom by clicking on the link during our Facebook Live video chat every Saturday. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on that aforementioned voicemail line and you could be internet famous just like Mel Brooks. 
Remember to keep it two minutes or less, though. We've got a lot of nerds calling in live, and we've got to share that air. If you're new to this show and you're ready to cancel us for mispronouncing names, I assure you, we do it all the time. And like we said, we're the idiots. Here's the thing. Yeah, certainly, yeah. You just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive over at twoheadednerd.com. And let me tell you, with the amount of episodes we've done, we have mispronounced a mountain of names. Okay, folks? <laughs> but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Michael Severe. That dude finally threw cash at us. I've been trying to buy that guy's friendship for years now. Uh, he's Christ. been doing it every month for quite some time oh, now. Really? I, I, I love how you like to make that joke about every donor, but I yeah, just don't pay he's attention. been supporting us for quite some time. Fair enough. All right. Thank you, Michael. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our fellow Star Trek fans on this blessed day. That's right. Today, September 8th, is Star Trek Day. Gene Roddenberry's vision of a better future debuted on this day 55 years ago. Live long and word to you, nerds. September 8th to be with you, Matt. And also with you, Joe Patrick. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just recall that time that Tarmok and Jalad dropped a big steaming Tanagra on your pile of comics. This is the two-headed nerd. His arm's wide. Signing off. But first, your onomatopoeia of the week. Hello, this is Baal from Earth 27 calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. An interdimensional realignment is likely to occur in the next of your Earth Prime weeks. This will prevent communication between the Earth 27 and Earth Prime dimensions. We will re-establish contact as soon as possible. The onomatopoeia of the week may resume at this time. Or I may provide you with a graphic description of the reproductive cycle of the banana slug. We will just have to see. Your onomatopoeia of the week is... This is the sound of the beast in summer magic, the complete journal of Luke Kirby, from 2000 AD published 2017. For the time being, that is all.